Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Today we're joined by actor Paul Ryan, who's fated on stage and screen as well as a three-year run in London's Theatreland with Mamma Mia. You may also have seen him in the rather brilliant Brexit, The Uncivil War, and recently in Christine Keeler. Alongside his acting career, he's also an executive coach, author and speaker. He helps companies, CEOs and directors with presentation skills and also how to cope with change. He's worked with Ernst & Young, National Trust and other companies. And it's with this hat on that we've collared him today. So thanks very much, Paul. Welcome. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Um, Lovely to be here. <laughs> um, did I describe what you do accurately? I thought it was brilliant. I was terribly impressed, actually. In fact, I was so impressed, I'd better go and make sure some of that actually happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, your acting career has been an interesting one. Um, is there any particular highlight you'd like to share with us? Well, I started back in 1978. So it's an amazing thought that my, my acting career spans six decades, Gosh. which is weird because I'm only 54. <laughs> so I started out playing the Artful Dodger in Oliver in the West End. And from there, I did Grange Hill for a couple of years uh, with Todd Carter, who played Tucker, Tucker Jenkins and uh, Trisha Yates. Do you remember Trisha Yates? Yeah. I'll tell you something very interesting about Trisha Yates. She fancied me. Yeah. Yeah, I was in there. Except, uh, <laughs> no, we were, we were all very young. It was a lot of fun. But highlights over the years, blimey. I mean, I did a production of Noises Off oh, at Liverpool Playhouse, which will always live in my memory. I did Mamma Mia mm-hmm. for three years in the West End. I've done loads of lovely stuff. I'm very, very blessed. I played Kenneth Williams on tour and in the West End in a production of um, Round the Horn. It was just fabulous, yeah. fabulous thing to be involved with. Give us a bit of Kenneth. Go. Oh, no, when I said let's have it off, I meant let's have it off. No, let's have it off. There you go. That'd be an extra 50 quid because oh, okay. I don't do that for free anymore. Because <laughs> he's like a genie. If you let him out of the bottle, he won't go back in. So if we're not careful, I'm just going to sound like him for the rest of the morning. <laughs> uh, great. What got you into acting in the first place? What was the thing that really... The spur was quite simple. I, I have absolutely no idea, but I know when. I was sitting on my mother's knee. I was I was four years of age and with a, with a big old Irish... Irish family there now. I went into Irish quite by mistake. But there were six kids, two parents, and we were watching the telly, and I think it was something like a carry-on film, and something happened that was very, very funny. And we all laughed, and I saw everybody laughing. And uh, and I loved it, and I turned to my mum, and I said, what's, what's, he, what's he doing? And she said, oh, well, he's being funny, dear. I said, no, 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 what's, he, what's his job? And she said, well, he's an actor. And I said, I'm going to be an actor. And then mum went, oh, listen, everybody, Paul is going to be an actor. And they all laughed. And it was all marvellous. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy in as much as uh, I then started to show off and try and get that laugh, yeah. you know. So I'm driven by um, I'm what they call in NLP terms an external referencer. I, uh, I take great comfort and value um, through the responses of others to who I am. That's neither right nor wrong, by the way. You can be an internal referencer, and uh, if you want to look at the negative, you might be viewed as quite shy or insular. Equally, you're very self-reliant. So neither one is good nor bad. They're both just different. How's that for an answer? Sounds really good. Yeah, it's excellent. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. What next? I know. Well, it actually sort of leads us into the next bit, because you mentioned NLP. Um, and obviously, you deliver now as well um, presentation mm. skills training. I mean, obviously, what got you into that? Was it through the acting? Was it obviously you were saying about uh, I'll yeah. tell you what got Yeah, acting yeah. got me into it in as much as it's nearly impossible to earn a living as an actor. It really is. Yeah. If you're, you could play Hamlet in a repertory theatre production and go away with 380 quid a week. It's really hard to make a living. So even when you're doing well, even when actors are doing well, often we struggle financially. And I'd, um, I was asked to interview for a company called Partners With You, who were brilliant. They introduced me to it. I did it for seven years. Um, working as a freelancer for them. 
And then when I got into Mamma Mia, I just thought, blimey, when this ends, how am I going to make any money? I know, I'll set up on my own. Because I, I found the subject very interesting, did a lot of research, built in a lot of learning. And then when I was in Mamma Mia, added loads more learning and lots more stuff, new, new um, uh, learning from Canada and stuff of my own design. So that I came out with, uh, you know, quite a new product with a new thing to say about how to enhance your presentation skills. Mm-hmm. And what sort of people do you work with? I mean, and, and what kind of you know, common things do they come to you with? Is it... Now, so I started off by, by networking. Yeah. By the way, it's worth saying, anybody out there that's setting up their own business, any actors out there that are listening that are thinking of doing this, go out and meet people. Don't sit at home in your office like I did, fretting, because there's, there's absolutely no value or profit in that. Be in front of people. If you're good with people, be in front of them. Uh, so I started off by running my own public workshops for 30 quid a head and running around the networking uh, fraternity, selling to the room, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to sell through the room. But actually, everyone had to get up and give a presentation. They all had to do a 30 second, 40 or 60 second pitch. And most people don't like doing it. So in the first instance, I was working with people who were setting up in business and wanted to be able to speak in public and do a really good job of it. Um, then... I was introduced to people who got me into small businesses and now quite large companies. Ernst & Young, Blenheim Charlcock, Clear School, Action Coach, um, Domestic in General. So it's been a, a marvellous journey. It's taken a long time to get there. But now I work in the corporate sector. I also work with politicians occasionally. Yeah, absolutely. Do they have a different set of like worries? Well, I suppose the couple of politicians I've worked with are always working in the moment, on the fly, and they've got a thousand different people advising them. Mm. So there's a lot of chaos around them. I can't mention any names, um, but there's a lot of chaos. And what you've got to try and do is hit them with one thing that's Mm. going to make a big difference. Mm. Because for for most people, really, if you find one thing, it's like a key and it unlocks a a, a sort of a lid, a a little box of treasures that they've already got, you know. Mm. But it's finding that key. So it's really finding that moment where you go, how about this? Mm. And if they use it, you can see them suddenly blossom and let go of a lot of their bad habits and anxieties around mm-hmm. public speaking. Okay. I'll have to come to you. I think I will. You can't afford <laughs> it, mate. Uh, no, I probably can't, actually. No, no you're right. <laughs> actually, we'll talk about prices, shall we? <laughs> yes, no, yes, exactly. mucking about. Yes. It's Kenneth Williams. Get back in the box. Get back in the box. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is a podcast about biophilia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the Journal of Biophilic Design. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, and then while it might not seem like a direct connection to the subject, um, obviously being in theatre and TV and film... Um, you have to create another an environment. You have to create like a simulation of an environment, which is what we do at Argenta Wellness. We create, we bring nature, we kind of create that whole natural environment. It's like you're somewhere else. Um, so, I mean, is there anything special that's done particularly, do you think, with acting, staging, lighting, um, backdrops? Yeah, sure. Um, there's two things that come into play. The state of the actor's mind mm-hmm. and what they want to communicate so they can create a new reality just by thinking. So if you think in terms of an actor can be in a black box set, i.e. a small room above a pub, and just by what they're doing, thinking and feeling, they can transport you to being on a sinking raft in the middle of the ocean by the power of their acting, all right, but also by their emotional recall. Think hot, look hot, feel hot. Think cold, feel cold, be cold, you know. But then there's also, so the best example I can think of with regard, with, with regard to setting would be the set for Mamma Mia. Mamma mm-hmm. Mia is set on a Greek island, I'm sure most people know this. And how do they create a sense of lightness and summer and heat? 
And I think they did this in two, two really clever ways. The backdrop was absolutely huge. There was no roofs. So all you felt was a sense of absolute mm-hmm. outdoors, mm-hmm. the outdoors of the place. And this fantastic, vibrant, what, what they call Mamma Mia Blue. It can't be Mamma Mia Blue. It's <laughs> got to be something else. But an incredible sense of vibrant blue. And the lighting, of course, very bright. Yeah. The set was exactly the sort of thing you'd expect to find on, on a Greek island, you know, white stucco or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so if you combine that, because interestingly, they didn't use sound. We didn't have a running background set of sounds to create the sound of an ocean or birds or nothing like that. It was very interesting. So it was done purely with the lighting being very bright and warm, but against that fantastic backdrop of of Mamma Mia Blue and no roofs, nothing contained. That's really interesting. I mean, the interior designers that we work with, um, you know, we, we create like big long wall vinyls mm. and exactly that, you have almost this infinity wall. Yeah. So you feel like you are somewhere else. Sure. You know, to create that clarity mm, of mind. Absolutely. Um, I mean, so bringing back, bring us back to kind of what you do. Mm. Um, I mean, you mentioned about actors creating a new reality. Yeah. Um, with what you do with coaching in workplaces uh, where, you know, to bring about harmony and reduce stress. Um, I mean, you mentioned to me the other day when we met um, that you provide people with the mechanisms to cope with anxiety of change. Mm. Um, I mean, how, how do you do that? I mean, we obviously we use we use things, we use mm. this kind of, we create the backdrops, yeah. we create harmony with plants and mimic nature and things. But I mean, how do you encourage people to give themselves space if, if they're going through change? Yes, absolutely. Well, what tends to happen, there's a, there's a bit of a myth about change, and that is that well, there's first one big fact, and that is that the only immutable law in the universe is change. It's happening absolutely all the time. But the myth about it is that we don't like it. We don't like change. I don't like change. I don't know why when I say I don't like change, I suddenly come from the East End of London, but I don't. And that's nonsense. What we don't like is inconvenient change. If I came to you and I said, oh, listen, hey, um, I'm going to change your life. Here's a million pounds. Is that all right with you? You're not going to say, oh, no, because I don't like change. You're going to say, that's fantastic. That's going to bring on so many wonderful, excellent changes from which I'm going to benefit. If I, on the other hand, said, actually, you know your nice house, I'm going to take that from you and and I'm going to let you live in, in the shed at the bottom of the garden. That is an inconvenient change. That is a change that's going to challenge you and cause you discomfort. So there's an interesting thing about the whole notion of change. When we are faced with change that we uh, that we don't like, we become stressed. It causes us anxiety. And that will affect the way we stand, the way we sit, the way we breathe. So I will help people. Because you see, if you think about it, ask yourself this listener. If you have to get up and speak in public, does that make you feel joyous or anxious? And the likelihood is for most people, that it's anxious, you're going to feel anxiety. And that will tell in your body, and that will, oddly enough, see, what we what we do, we feel, and what we feel, we do. There's a relatively new science called proprioceptive psychology, and it states that the state of the human body will determine the state of the human mind. It's quite a big statement, really. So what you do, you will feel. So I look at what people, when they get up and speak in front of me, I look at what they're doing, and that lets me know how they're feeling. Your body language is fascinating. Never let you know what people are thinking. It will give you an indication of their level of ease or dis-ease. Mm. The best way to use body language is to choose what posture to hold, whether that's sitting or standing. Because it all affects your breathing. If you breathe well, it will calm you, focus you and energise you. So I give people a whole heap of insights, none of which I'm going to share today, because that costs the money. <laughs> um, but in how to 
gain mastery over their anxieties. What, the, what happens when they feel nervous? By changing their posture. And it's amazing how immediate the effect is. And when you say, I mean, it's, it's really quite a simple thing, but if you don't know what you're doing, and, and also it's, it's, for me, you know, being able to trust somebody, because it's a very you're very vulnerable. Even though you might stand up, that you kind of you, you'd rather stick your head in the sand yeah. than admit. Actually, I'm rubbish at public speaking. I'm really rubbish at this. I get mm. really really nervous. Mm. You kind of leave it to the last minute. You've and you blunder your way through it. That's right. But actually, to find a coach like yourself, say for mm. instance, you know mm. who you can get on with. You're I mean you're you're a funny person. Thank anyway. you. Just as a just as a you know from a social point of view, mm. you're very you're funny. So you're easy to get along with. So mm. someone like yourself, where you trust, it's an immediate. You, yeah. you broke that barrier down beforehand and you can feel vulnerable in yes. front of you to kind of... Absolutely. You, yeah. What I try and create, A, is is an environment where people feel relaxed. And actually, interestingly enough, there's something about laughter. Um, I feel more secure once I've made someone laugh. Isn't that daft? I've given them an offer. They've taken that offer. They've given me something back. It's like, I've given you a gift of a gag. You give me the gift of your laughter. And yeah. suddenly we've created a little connection there. But the other thing is... Um, you try and create an environment where people have the freedom to fail mm-hmm. so they feel perfectly safe yeah. and when they do that they're more likely to take risks actually make the mistakes and learn in that environment mm-hmm. how to correct them how to overcome them how to ensure that they're less likely to happen again mm-hmm. you know the other thing that I wanted to mention was that aside from the the directness of helping people speak at their best when it matters the most there's this other thing which is the other strand of my business, which is executive coaching. Because the other thing that we provide in an executive coaching environment to help cope with the anxiety of change is silence and the room to think. Because in in most people's lives, they don't actually find time to think. They don't uh, allocate a specific period to sit and do nothing. And I don't mean do nothing. What I mean is let your auxiliary thinking give it time and room to breathe and wake up. We fill our world with noise. There's a brilliant book. It's all about auxiliary thinking. What goes on in the back of the mind all the time? That's where the creativity happens. But you need to find yourself in a state, and it tends to be quiet that will aid that state for that to wake up. And in a, in a coaching environment, The person with the question is always the person with the right answer. So as an exec coach, you never offer opinions, solutions, suggestions. You offer an environment where the person with the problem can find the answer within themselves. And that's a wonderful thing to witness and facilitate. It's very odd for me because... People aren't used to me being quiet. <laughs> they find it very odd. So at the beginning of a session, I say, look, this is going to feel really weird because I'm quite garrulous, I'm quite talkative, I'm quite chatty. However, in this particular environment, I'm going to do something which is going to, it's going to stagger you. I'm going to shut up <laughs> for most of the time. Um, don't let it frighten you. And then I explain that what we're, what we're going to do is give you the, the forum and the space to be heard and to listen to yourself and, and, and identify the next steps. And I find that, because it's something I've just recently got my practitioner diploma in, a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, to experience and to facilitate. That's fantastic. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, great. Um, 
Just just one last question, really. Um, just because we love nature. Go and on. We're all about nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, is there somewhere that you go that's that's like that is nature that's kind of yeah. that that you you love and and what you know what's special about it for you? Well, I'm very lucky in that I live in Hertfordshire, and uh, we did a little. We've got a very modest little house, but actually we did um, an extension, and it meant that we had to put on some decking. And suddenly we realised we provided ourselves with this incredible view of the valley, mm-hmm. you know, with the canal at the bottom of the church. So actually, if I want to go anywhere, I'll make myself a cup of tea and I'll sit out on my little balcony and I will look out over the whole of uh, this incredible vista, which has got, it's got Ashridge, you see Ashridge, you see the monument, yeah. look down, see the church, and there's lots of trees, so full of colour, full of green, yeah. and actually... You know, the sounds of nature, we're, we're quite lucky. When there's not a train going by, you know, <laughs> annoying you. Uh, and I'll go up to Ashridge. Yeah. I, I like it, you know, go walking. And I've got my wife, Nada, got me into the very good habit of walking, being out in nature, seeing the green stuff and letting it calm you down. Lovely. Well, thanks very much, Paul. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.